the year 2020, I started a podcast about movies. Some episodes occasionally focused on other media as well. As I dealt with threatening interdimensional beings, I eventually met my other self from another universe where all the stuff I talked about got delayed. As it turns out, the stories as me and my guests described them were presented very differently in that other universe. So I continued podcasting these recaps, which apparently sound like improvised reviews, to entertain listeners of that other universe while they waited for the new release dates. Some episodes even focused on content of years past that did not come out in that other universe for whatever reason. The year is 2022. The podcast is now bi-weekly, unless stated otherwise. My name is Steven Schinder, and you're listening to Delayed Replay. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we recap and review movies that got delayed in that other universe but came out on time in our universe. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Schinder, and joining me for this episode to talk about Shazam! Fury of the Gods. You've probably heard him before on some other episodes. It is Mr. Multiverse. How's it going? Greetings, one and all. I'm happy to be here as always. This is one of my favorite podcasts to be a part of. Well, I was expecting that, but yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. It's yeah, it's always fun to talk about these movies, and I feel like we each tend to have like interesting takes, and yeah, it's just cool to hear from different people about these movies on this podcast. So yeah, thanks for taking up the invite again. It's the least I could do for, you know, just shameless spoiler, or, no, not spoiler, <laughs> crap, um, shameless plug. Um, you have done podcasts for me, so I think it's only right that I, you know, uh, share the, you know, share the fun on this end. Yeah, totally. So, I guess to start off, what are your, like, overall experiences with Shazam slash Captain Marvel stories? Because, of course, he was originally called Captain Marvel. Like, what have your, been your experiences with the character? Um, he's usually a character I always enjoy. Like, he's one of my... If I was to, like, to rank my uh, favorite superheroes, he would definitely be in the top ten. Um, Captain Marvel is that super optimistic, but also, like, untapped... It's every time. Like, very few writers these days know how to utilize him because he's so powerful. But at the same time, he's just happy. It's just fun to see him. Like, it's so fun to see whenever this character just shows up and he is like he's just it's just fun like it's just kind of like that that superhero uh archetype but it all like a lot of people forget of how like that superhero archetype wasn't just superman it was like captain marvel um of that you know boy scout kind of persona so it's kind of nice and i i did love the first movie so i was really happy to see, i was really excited to see this one yeah, I totally get what you mean about that Boy Scout archetype. Like, we definitely get it with Superman. Well, at least some people utilize him the best. But with Captain Marvel slash Shazam, like, it's, you know, it's like that night, that optimistic innocence, uh, I guess you could say. And 
there's a really funny backstory about how like the character was created by a different comic book company and then creators of Superman. Like there's like some legal stuff, but eventually Shazam or Captain Marvel at the time became part of DC like later on. And so it was kind of a funny thing that happened where like he and Superman became like friends, like a mentor and mentee at certain points. And it's just, it's fun. And, And I love seeing Billy Batson and, various animated stuff and I I think they made a good move changing the characterization in the 80s where like before then I it was like the adult um version of him felt like a different person but I like that they eventually changed it to where like he's basically a man child like he still has the like kid mindset he's just like in a adult body when he changes yeah, it's fun that you bring that up of like, yeah, it used to be a different comic group and then DC like absorbed literally Fawcett Comics into itself. That's what they did with uh, the Charlton characters was, yeah, because for the, a lot of people forget that like Peacemaker and The Question and like um, a few other characters were under a group called Charlton Comics and then they were taken over by DC and integrated into that universe. So this isn't like, and like they've done this before, like with a milestone, they did this with some image comic characters. Like DC, like a lot of people say, oh, Marvel absorbs everything. You have yet to see what DC's capable of. <laughs> they even like name the city, like Fawcett City, at least in the comics, which is a fun little shout out. Like as far as the comics go, I've read more than half of the power of shazam the 90s comic series and i've read a couple of the stories from the 80s and uh his new 52 appearances throughout the justice league series so yeah the first movie in retrospect felt like an amalgamation of like the 90s stuff and the new 52 stuff to me uh what did you think of the first movie uh, the first movie is definitely a very much the, inspired by the Jeff Johns comic. Um, it's fun. It's very, um, it's very lighthearted, which at the time DC desperately needed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's so funny because like this was a movie that like people were like when the moment the first trailer hit, everyone was like, "Oh, thank God! Oh my God!" It's we were like, "Oh my God!" I thought it was like going to be just like more muted colors more like swearing more overtly dark moments and then it was turned out to be pretty fun it was very refreshing and it was like a fun time like i definitely laughed out loud at certain points while watching it in the theater so i guess we'll move on to the sequel then so shazam fury of the gods I wasn't expecting this, but, like, I guess because they released it on April Fool's Day, they thought they could get away with this. Like, having a good chunk of the beginning of the movie be centered on Batmite having an adventure, like, what was that all about? I, like, it's kind of weird, like, having Batmite in the story, but, like, it's, again, it's kind of like, um, having him here is kind of adding to the lightheartedness. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of weird because why are we using Batmite at all when he, like, if you want, I get, like, you couldn't do having Batmite in the Batman or Batfleck. It makes no sense. Um, but why is he here? <laughs> why? 
I mean, the, what could have made a little more sense was Nixit Pitlick or or someone. There are tons of impish, like, fifth-dimensional creatures you could have used. I guess because it's kind of fun to use um, Weird Al to have this Batmite because that makes so much sense. Yeah, like, that casting was on point for sure. And he gets very meta and tries to justify his presence by being like, oh, this movie is about Billy Batson, so you gotta have Batmite in here. Which was kind of flimsy, but I was just rolling with it. Yeah. It also doesn't help that they try to do, like, the Fred Flintstone Great Kazoo thing. If you... Oh, oh it sound old. <laughs> um, Alright, kids, for those who don't know what the Flintstones is, there was a season in the Flintstones where this alien called the Great Kazoo this impish green character who only Fred could see shows up and calls him Dum Dum, and that's what kind of what they do here with Billy and, and Batmite. Yeah, I know which character you're talking about. I think in the live action prequel movie, they make him an alien or something, right? Or is he just always an alien? Yeah, he is an alien, but he's like a he's he's like got powers. Right, yeah. Like, he can, like, teleport with a snap of a finger or something, right? Yeah, but, like, um, with Batmite showing up here and people, and Billy's, like, talking to him, like, having these conversations as both him and as Shazam, people are like, uh, what, what are you looking at, dude? And they're like, can you not see this? Oh my god, it's like, it's right here. It is right there in front of you. And they're like, what? And Batmite's like, yeah, if I don't want to be seen, then I'm not going to be seen. Like, it's it's like no matter what, like as Billy at first like goes, okay, everyone go to, go Shazam. I hate that term by the way, but like go Shazam, like <laughs> and then maybe you'll see it, and they still don't. Yeah, and there's also a moment where he's like, oh my gosh, they can't see you. You're basically John Cena. When he says, oh, you're like John Cena, and he's like, Peacemaker isn't in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very much felt like, like, I know people were comparing the first Shazam movie to Deadpool in terms of the tone, but this felt even more like Deadpool just breaking the fourth wall like that. Honestly, it's like, it doesn't make any sense because, like, it, it, we don't know where the continuity is going with um, DC, with the DCEU movie, so it's kind of like up in the air, and I think that this, the Batmite thing is just kind of commentating on that. Yeah, he, he basically makes some comments about, like, oh, we don't know where we're going from here, but I, I'm just making a lot of trouble, having fun, and it's like, uh, okay, whatever, DC. <laughs> there is some, like, actual story here with this character. Uh, I mean, not with this character. Well, there is some stuff with this character. We'll get to him in a moment. But, like, there's an actual story here in dealing with the gods, in that we have uh, Calypso and I cannot pronounce her out the other one's name. Oh, yeah. The other one's name is Hespera, I think. Yeah, Hesperia. These two gods have, like, two de uh, daughters of the gods are basically after, have come down from Olympus to hunt the Shazam family. Because their whole thing is, like, there should not be a champion. And the champion, like... They basically tell Billy right to his face, um, the whole champion of Shazam thing, that was a lie, because it turns out in here, they reveal that the wizard Shazam stole the power of the gods. It wasn't they, they were given to him, they were stolen, so he could seal away the seven deadly sins. Yeah, this revelation felt very Doctor Who to me. Like, at the end of the second Doctor's run, when it's revealed that, like, he basically ran away from his people and later you find out like 
throughout the series that like he stole the TARDIS or whatever. And it felt like one of those neat backstory things that's kind of not what you expect at first, but it it definitely added an interesting layer, I think. It's a, oh, that's a gut punch. And I feel like that was kind of unnecessary because I was like, why can't characters just be all good? Like, is that so hard? Like, like I don't, like, I don't know. Is it just me? Is like, can I just have a mentor character without a dark, shady past? Yeah, I, I do see your point. Like, I guess I'm just used to... You know, seeing some of the good mentor characters being seen as roguish compared to other people who are kind of like them. So I was just kind of not as phased by it. But I, I I can understand how someone like you might want the mentor to just be like all good. Because we haven't had a whole lot of that in some of these recent DC movies, like the ones that tend to be darker it's a pain in the ass because like um it feels like it's just kind of like oh you know don't uh, you know don't worship uh, you know don't believe everything your mentor says i was like yeah but he's helping the hero and like why should we why do we have to make him out to be the villain when he's done nothing up to this point than to help the hero or i don't know i'm just tired of like oh mentor who's really going to be a bad guy or has some dark secret that he's been holding back from the the heroes and i'm like i'm just kind of over that trope i don't know about anyone else that's just me and the whole point of the wizard was that he was supposed to be the the like all good he was supposed to be the like the the pedestal you have to get to it's and that's the other thing is like why can't we just have a character to aspire to be? Why do we have to make them, like, with a dark spot? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It is an interesting subversion, but I, I, I will say that it does result in some unnecessary melodrama, like Billy being, like, super upset at the wizard Shazam and being like, you lied to me, why don't you tell me all this? And it starts to feel very... Man of Steel-ish again, I guess you could say. And the other thing is, too, like, it also, like, causes friction in the family, like, for no reason, because, like, like they're like, well, if you can't trust Shazam, why, why couldn't you, if you couldn't trust the wizard, how can we trust you? And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, because, like, they've been a family for two years now, and all of a sudden, they're not trusting him. <laughs> Like, there is a good reason. Like, I, I will forgive it because, the mo- like, the director was smart enough to go, like, oh, you could stu- it'd be stupid if they all just suddenly turned on each other out of the blue. And it turns out that the um, the two, uh, like, Calypso and her sister are using, like, um, Pandora's box and letting out, like the, like, the lies and fears and anxieties out on them, like, sneaking them out there to, like turn them on each other yeah it feels kind of similar to how like in the first avengers movie wasn't the tesseract kind of amplifying the insecurities within each of the avengers characters leading them to like arguing and stuff it was um the mind stone in loki scepter oh that's right yeah that's what it was so it's kind of like that but like it's it's going with the whole greek mythology thing so i'm a little more at peace with it Right, yeah, like, Greek mythology is something I'm not as 
fluent in as like i'm not as super familiar with it as a bunch of people i know are but it of course comes up in a lot of stuff i'm a fan of like especially like these superhero stories like sometimes i'm never sure like what is this drawing from i just kind of go with it but like even as an outsider i did think it was somewhat compelling seeing how it was um amplifying their insecurities and causing all this friction but it was also like partially frustrating to see i guess i'll say that it is kind of nice that, that this time around they gave more to, for mary to do because she is like in the mar in the marvel family um she is very much like the second uh, the second one in charge they did my thing my gripe was in the last one they didn't give mary enough to do in the first movie but this time it's like they kind of made up for it with making her kind of like the real supporting character with freddy now like in the third wheel yeah i think that was a good choice because we got a lot of freddy in the first one and i like what they ended up doing with him and he still does some stuff here but yeah making him the I guess the one of the Shazamily with the third amount of focus was a good choice so that they could hone in on her and, you know, just change up the dynamic and focus a bit. Yeah. And it is interesting to see, like, the sisters kind of being, like, um, also, you like, more or less whispering in Mary's ear in the whole, like, um, you know, the power you wield is, like, not yours and, like, um, he only gives it willingly, like they're using like her own insecurities and also using the with the Pandora's box to kind of like try to get get her on their side. Right, yeah. And I also thought it was cool how they let her, like the actress, play both the normal version and the superhero version. Like, I guess with the first movie, I didn't... You know, you see the adult versions of the rest of the Shazamily very briefly, so it's like I don't have all their faces ingrained, per se, so it didn't really faze me that, like, I, I didn't really, um, like, the differences didn't really break my immersion, I guess, because I didn't really focus very much on it. Yeah, and that's kind of the other thing, is that the rest of the family, again, feels a little more to the side. Um, and it's more of a story of Billy and Mary. That might. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there will be, like, a melodramatic moment, and then Batmite will show up to break the tension, and it's like, oh, for the love of just go away for now. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, there's a moment where they're having a conversation, and Batmite's like, oh, man, this is way too dramatic. Neon Cat! And I'm like, we're, we're doing a Neon Cat meme in the middle of a drama scene? <laughs> yeah, that was... Yeah, I did not like that very much. Like, I know that some people in the theater were kind of laughing at it, but I I'm just sitting there being like, just put me out of my misery, like, right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, freaking kill me right now. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it, it, it is pretty cool that we do get to see more of, like, it is more of a globetrotting thing. And the other, and actually what causes all this is, like, having the sisters, um, Calypso and Hespia, manipulate Mary into bringing them into the Rock of Eternity so they can destroy it. 
really great locations in this like you know with the first movie we're very earthbound we're mainly in philadelphia but here we go from there to other places like the rock of eternity the library of eternity athens and the realm of the gods it's it kind of feels like it escalated between the first movie and this second one kind of comparable to like if the first thor movie didn't have asgard in it i guess and I kind of like that because, again, it's kind of nice to have this kind of epic. And also, it really plays the whole Billy's like, wow, I am not prepared for for the outside world. I thought, you know, I thought Silvana was going to be Silvana was going to be the, the biggest threat I had. No, these girls, these sisters are dangerous. I guess, like, the other thing we should mention is that this kind of runs simultaneously with Black Adam. Yeah, like, like this explains why they're not there to deal with Black Adam while he's, like, doing all his stuff, you know, being evil on Earth and just causing chaos. Yeah, like, they're watching the TV, and they're like, it actually is, like, another thing they used with the Pandora's box is that there's that insecurity because they're seeing, like, the power. Billy is already, like, worried about the power of Shazam because he's like, if the wizard gave his power to that monster of watching him, like, just tear his way through the Justice Society, he's like, then maybe he was wrong. Right. It does throw up some moral questions of, like, what should the wizard have done? Am I right? Am I wrong? Like, it it does pose some questions for the characters to ask themselves. And, you know, like the tone or not, it does... It is a kind of a bold thing to do to put them in this situation where they're really questioning their places although i I could understand how one might feel that some of it feels a little bit forced uh, i guess um does that make sense it does i the other thing like with this is that it kind of also shows of they are aware and also like i like that family discussion where they're like where they talk about like black adam like seizing power and they're like well why don't we do that like we could do so much like they literally reference like um we could literally go to north korea and save all those people and like it's kind of this very adult discussion um in the middle of this of this like family moves family superhero movie of like why superheroes don't deal with world real world problems Yeah, and it kind of changes our perception of what we saw in Black Adam. It kind of really made me excited for that, like, they're on a collision course with him. And I do like that ending scene of, um, the ending scene where Billy's, like, uh, like, watching the news right before the credits, uh, like, cuts the credits of, like, he's watching the news and it says, Black Adam has seized seized control of conduct, and he's like, (laughs) you're, and he's just like, yeah, I know I'm gonna have to. He's he he him and me are gonna run into each other. Yeah, they also throw another thing in here that's really that he's wrestling with in bits of the movie, like internally. Like there's a discussion with the family that he has where he's like, you know, there's a flashback to when the scene at the end of the first movie when they had Superman in the cafeteria. And I was actually pleasantly surprised that they showed Henry Cavill in in this flashback, you know, eating the lunch with them. And um, it felt kind of Spider-Man homecoming, you know, people taking selfies with him and whatnot. But Superman tries to give 
them some words of wisdom on what it means to be a hero. But in the like present day events of this movie, you have Billy being really angsty and being like, why doesn't Superman just like, why is he always got to be busy? Why doesn't he train us for all of this? Like, why doesn't he make time for us? And it's like, really do, do we need this? Like, I just want like things to be cool with my ideal form of Superman is one that people wouldn't be upset with. And it's like, you could have that with these characters, but here they're like really upset about him being absent. And it's like, uh, it's just so frustrating to watch. Yeah. And there actually is like a cute moment where he's like, why isn't he here? Like, why isn't he here helping us? Or like, why is he like, why can't he be here with us? And Batmite goes, ah, yeah. He, he, he's like, he basically said, like, Batmite basically says, like, look, dude, um, Superman's off, like, just off world. And I came here to help you, you know, I was, I was here because I wanted, he, like, Batmite just gives this moment of, I was, I came here because I knew you were going to be upset. So I'm here to cheer you up. And I'm like, well, it's that's nice of you, but you're really like making the movie really unbalanced here, bad prick. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like Batmite is in there to provide some levity, but it's just like he feels really shoehorned in at times. And I get that that's supposed to be part of the intention, but it's just it makes some of this movie feel lopsided. Yeah. And I under, and I think I know why they put him in here was because they saw how well Spider-Ham worked as a comedic relief in Spider-Verse and then they thought we could do that too. And I'm like you clearly didn't understand Spider-Verse then. <laughs> because there's even a moment where like I, you've seen Spider the first Spider-Verse movie, right? Um I I mean I've been meaning to, but it's it's definitely on my list. Um that came out like three four years ago no i'm kidding i've seen it yeah <laughs> all right but there's like a scene where they're all talking of like that's the scene where it's like oh i get it now where there's literally a scene where they're all talking about like the people they lost and they all look over at spider ham and he has this just look of just destruction on his face he's like kid we've all lost somebody and i'm like oh no oh no because like, that's the moment where you realize oh he's here to be funny but they know when to cut the funny out and make it a serious moment. Yeah, like he wasn't hamming it up in that moment. They really balanced it very well there. Get out. Get out. <laughs> you don't get to use that pun. You're better than that, Steven. <laughs> uh, hamming it up. I do. You're, you're better than that pun. Yeah, this is kind of a tangent, but I remember years ago, like back in, like I think this was back when Batman versus Superman was being reported or something. Like I was hanging out with some people from a Doctor Who club at the college I went to, and we were like talking about, you know, geeky stuff, and we talked about like the upcoming like DC stuff, and one of them was like, I just want them to go full ham and cast comedic actors as these characters like 
like i guess like superman or black adam or something just make it all comedic instead of just being serious like man of steel was well you kind of got your wish here (laughs) but there is like a moment where billy realizes that he shouldn't have to try to rely on like superman helping him with everything And, and this is like the thing that's been getting people making the dc marvel comparisons online you know it's it's once again sparked a thing of like oh spider-man is just iron man jr and this is a commentary on that and it's like uh i i don't know you might be reaching there bro like i I don't know about that it's just like they might have made this just for this story like this superman shazam thing but what what'd you think of the creatures that were in this? Like, we had minotaurs, harpies, dragons. Like, what did you think of how they looked? It was kind of, they were all looked pretty good. I mean, they're just here for, you know, the rest of the team to fight when, when the main villains aren't, uh, you know, aren't on screen. Because, like, you know, Hill, Helen Mirren um, can only do so much with wires. <laughs> <laughs> They look pretty good. Like, it's a good mix of practical effects and CGI. Like, like it's not the type of CGI that looks too obvious. Um, Like, there might be some angles here and there, but overall, it's just... I, I feel like they really add to the fantasy feel of this setting they're trying to do. Yeah. There's also, like, um, like some scenes, like, uh, with t- where... Um... Fred, like freddy as captain as like shazam jr is fighting a minotaur and like they smash right into a like an oreo truck like an oreo delivery truck and he's like oh, man i wish it was the martian doing this <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a nice little reference to martian manhunter and there's also a moment where there's this random person on the street like seeing this fight happen and it's none other than samuel l jackson and he's like Whoa, this truly is the fury of the gods. And I was like, uh, and I immediately said in the, f- in the theater, F*** off! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's also like a fruit roll-ups bug in this movie. Like there's just some random bystander eating fruit roll-ups, which, which is kind of funny because me and my friend were talking about a Men in Black movie recently where they included fruit roll-ups and it's like, uh, I guess people still show them in movies, like, even today. Yeah, like, I was watching, I was like, they still make those? Yeah, like, it's been a while since I've seen them in an actual store, but whenever I do see them, um, like, at a party or something, I'll be like, yeah, I'll have one, and just finish it real quick. So do you want to talk about, like, the end credit scenes? Uh, Yeah, we can do that. Well, like, the fight itself with, like, the two sisters wasn't really all that impressive to me anyway. Like it's just kind of all built up and then just kind of fizzled a bit. But yeah, we we can talk about the credit scenes. Yeah, I mean like for real quick on the on the sister scene was like it's nothing really important because I feel like they kind of blew their cinematic load on like the henchmen fighting because there's like one great scene where like the Shazam family is like fighting along like a mountainside in Italy, like one of those um uh like one of those uh, roads carved into a side of a mountain and they're fighting all these monsters while at the same time trying to keep the civilians in the cars safe and i was like that was really well shot i have a feeling they can't top that and shocker they couldn't (laughs) there's three 
one in the middle of the initial credits, then one in the middle of the credits, and one at the very end. Which the very end credit was uh, now there's a reason Batmite there there's the real reason why Batmite was here. But um, so the first so the first one isn't really special because it's more like Black Adam just chilling in Condock and he's like he's like he's heard about the news of what happened with the gods and whatnot and he's like coming after you batson yeah like dwayne johnson just with his serious look and just like that intensity in his eyes just like the jumanji look yeah he even does like the eyebrow raise when he hears like um from one of his general like the classic the wwe eyebrow raise yeah when he hears like one of his generals go, my lord, like Lord Lord Adam, we've we've heard news of the of, of the Shazam family. He's like, mm? yeah. <laughs> um, Mid credit scene, a little more, and I think it builds to all this is um, the sisters who have been locked away again by the Shazam family. They get broken out, and this I, I like how it ties back to Black Adam, where it's Savannah. With Mr. Mind and Mr. Adam, now with Ivac from the Black Adam movie, and they're like, "Come on, let's you know you can join us in our taking of the of the uh, of the Mystic Realms." And I'm like, "Oh, we're this. I guess we're building more to the Monster Society of Evil and um, the world of the Mystic Realms, like the realms of magic." Yeah, just I guess some more deep cuts there. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to see Bill Burr back as Ivac from Black Adam. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get to the final scene. And, like, there's a moment that was, like, because I thought, honestly, in the movie where it felt like just choppy editing where where Batmite goes, oh, no, and then he's go, he blinks out, and you're like, what the hell happened here? And at this end credit scene, we find out what that was, was that Batmite got yanked away. He got yanked away by some unknown force and that unknown force was like he he's in this like this emptiness and he's like oh god i was trying to run away from this i was trying to like i was trying to enjoy myself i didn't want to see this i didn't like i was trying to get away from you and it's <laughs> it's this giant shadow that we see like this giant shadow and a pair of red eyes just kind of glow and it's like, I was like, oh my, that's the anti-monitor. Yeah, it was very unexpected, but really cool that they're going this route. Because yeah. we, we've gotten that with the Arrowverse, but it's it'll be interesting to see like how they handle it here. Yeah. Um, for those not initiated for wh why that was such a big thing, the anti-monitor is a universe-consuming being from an antimatter universe that caused the first universal reboot in DC Comics, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which many of you, like Stephen had just aforementioned, um, it was kind of done haphazardly by this in the Arrowverse. Yeah, like, the Arrowverse version was clunky at points. Like, I was underwhelmed by how they utilized Kevin Conroy's Batman but I really liked how they handled the Superman in it and um, like some of the cameos uh, from like other movies and shows were like really cool. Even if they were blink and you miss it, but yeah. But yeah, this like a big budget Crisis on Infinite Earths, I'm all in. 
Yeah, and I mean, we have like the Flash movie coming up this summer in our universe, so maybe that'll sort of play into that. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite of the three um, end credit scenes? Yeah, I think the anti-monitor one is probably it. Like, even though Batmite's presence throughout this movie was just so off the wall and unnecessary, like, it, it was sort of worth it if only for this last credit scene at the end yeah because now it's like because now i was kind of i was after the movie i was kind of sitting there thinking did anti-monitor destroy the dc universe he came from and that's why he's like so hyperactive and like so excited to be in like shazam's universe because it's so it's almost like his yeah it definitely fuels the speculation itch and yeah, like I'm just like I'm just loving how these Shazam movies have been really reaching for the really out there, more comic booky stuff. I bet you fifty dollars that this is how they reintegrate. Like this is how they retie in um, the Snyderverse. Oh yeah, I guess that is possible. Yeah, because there's been a lot of uncertainty with that. Like his his version of Justice League was like head shoulders and a torso better than the theatrical version so like like with all that good reception like i don't know what the if the numbers were enough but it would be really satisfying for lots of fans i'm sure if they found some way to like integrate it again yeah um and i imagine like doing crisis is how they do it because like that's the only way, right? <laughs> That's the only way you could make heads or tails of, like, rebooting this continuity is with a story that rebooted continuity. Right. And for for years, we've been assuming that, like, the Flash movie will would involve, like, the Flashpoint storyline. So I don't know if this is going to be, like, a welding of those two events and sort of just a blanket term that incorporates, like, both of them somehow, but... Yeah, like it'll, it'll be interesting, I guess. I think what it's going to happen is the Flash the Flash movie is going to be like a version of Flashpoint and it's going to like open the door to like that's how the the anti-monitor like enters the um enters the DC universe and that's where it kind of le- like I think it's like the the pre- like the prelude to Infinite uh, to Crisis. Okay, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I guess you could say there are infinite possibilities. Ugh, Steven. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I said everything I wanted to say. I guess what we have left is the final thoughts and score of 10 and unit of measurement. So what are your final thoughts, score of 10 and unit of measurement for Shazam Fury of the Gods? I would say for me that this story is, I feel like it's, it's kind of a almost like a step down but not by much of the first movie probably because of the overdose of batmite but it does leave a lot of like good storytelling for like family dynamics as well as um what uh, a taste of what's to come and it really makes you excited for seeing billy and shazam billy and adam clash in the next film so i would say my rating for this movie is gonna be seven neon cats out of 10 (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm actually on the same page with that score. For me, it's like 7 out of 10 Oreos. Because the first Shazam movie is probably an 8 for me. Like, like it's, it's pretty good. But this one, like you said, and like I've been thinking, does feel like a bit of a step down. But not by too much. So yeah, I think 7 out of 10 is fair. Yeah. All right. Well, before we do the plugs, uh, I actually have an email from a listener. So uh, this is from Oliver, once again, who says, Dear Delayed Replay Stephen, just listened to the latest episode of Delayed Replay. Really enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. In the last episode, you mentioned that Marvin the Martian got penguins under his command. What the Penguins reminded me of was Club Penguin, Disney's child-friendly social media that was shut down in 2017 after 12 years. How much do you know about Club Penguin? Do you have any favorite aspects? Love the show, keep up the good work, Oliver Titcomb from that other universe where the films you reviewed got delayed. So, um, are you familiar with Club Penguin at all, Mr. Multiverse? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with some of it. I remember, like, one of the last days before they shut it down, there was, like, an anti-Trump rally after, on the site right, um, right after um, Trump got voted in as president. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting that for this apparently kid-friendly site. Like, Club Penguin is something I've been vaguely aware of for a while, but never really tried but like i think it was like one of those things where like all the other kids in school maybe mentioned it and i was like oh i i don't want to try because it's too mainstream i'm gonna do my own thing and like you know stupid thing like that probably um but yeah like basically the only club penguin for me is the iceberg lounge like i'm very privy to much of what club penguin itself is all about i guess all right. Well, yeah. Thanks for writing in again, Oliver. G- great to hear from you again, and glad you're still listening. Yeah. So I guess we'll do the plugs now. So thanks for being on this episode, Mister Multiverse. Where can people find your stuff? Uh, they can find me on the Mister Multiverse uh, YouTube channel, and go head on over to my Patreon, where uh, you have shown up in two episodes of the Requalizers, where. It's a podcast that's very similar to this, only we do ideas for requels, pre-reboot sequel movies, much like Halloween 2018, and kind of play with ideas on how to make a requel to a movie. Uh, the two that Steven has shown up in is the first episode, Jaws, and the third episode involving Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, those were very fun. Like, like it makes for a good mental exercise. Like, what would the... F- studios try if they did something like this today and what would be the best way or the worst way to go about it i guess yeah right so yeah people go ahead and check that out and i'll link them in the show notes as usual as for me uh you can email delayed replay podcast at gmail.com if you have any thoughts on i don't know um oreos like, just email us about your favorite variation of Oreos, I guess. Um, and you can also find me on Yes Shift, a podcast I do with my dad, where we talk about Yes and people and bands related to Yes. 
we recently had Oliver Wakeman on our show. It was such a fun interview that went on for like almost an hour and 20 minutes is yeah lots of fun and we also did something fun on april 1st uh so go ahead and check that out in the feeds um again if you can go facebook.com slash yes shift or, or if you want just the audio anchor.fm slash yes shift and there's also a youtube channel now i just launched that and i'm trickling stuff in and on wednesday april 13th uh, me and my dad are going to be interviewing Bill Bruford, the first drummer of Yes. So that'll be on the Drum Talk TV Facebook page and will be broadcast simultaneously on the Yes Shift Facebook page. So yeah, go ahead and check that out. Stay in the loop. My friend Jesse Bennett uh, has a podcast called Question Possible Answer. And we talked about the movie Clock Stoppers. So that was a lot of fun. It should be out in the feeds at some point in the near future. And yeah, I think that's everything for now. And the next delayed replay episode, which comes out on February, February, <laughs> April 23rd, is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. But without further delay, have a good day.